Well, this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. We continue in our, our Clean Slate series. We have this morning, and we have two more weeks, and as, as is already mentioned, we'll be concluding our series together with a uh, baptismal service. Just, I think, a really a good conclusion to the series that we've been in. Um, and just excited about what God's doing in hearts and testimonies that I hear from individuals of how they're being challenged and changed. And I just encourage you, sometimes I'll share a message and it'll, it'll link into the rest of the series, but it'll stand alone from others. And other times I'll share a message that kind of intertwines with some of the, the ones that I've talked about. Uh, this morning, what I'm going to share really intertwines with what I'm going to share next week. And so I would encourage you, try to be here next week. If you're not able to be here, listen to the podcast, because while they're different topics, they're very much connected. Uh, this morning, I want to take time to talk with you about your thought life. I know we've spent different, different times throughout looking at fear and anxiety, the impact of fear and anxiety on your mind. But this morning, I'd love to expand it and talk a little bit more about your thought life. Next week, we're going to talk about, to spend time talking about reoccurring failure in your life, reoccurring uh, struggles in your life, and how we can address those in, and really live in that clean slate and the freedom that God has for us. But this morning, I would like to uh, spend time talking about your thought life. How many of you have ever found yourself stuck? Um, just stuck, not so much physically, like in your car or stuck in a room, but I mean stuck in your mind, stuck in perhaps a cycle of thinking or a pattern of thinking that is just not healthy. Many times you're in it and you don't even realize you're in it until afterwards or until a number of things have gone by and you begin to realize that you've been uh, just stuck and just mentally things won't change. I think many times individuals will even resolve to be different. The resolve to think, well, I'm not going to let my mind go down that trail and before long, they find themselves in that same place again. It could be a struggle of fear and anxiety and worry, and it, but it could also be a, a struggle of, of forgiveness. We've talked about forgiveness. It could be, uh, it could be a mental struggle with uh, a number of different thoughts that our minds can be bombarded with. And many times, I believe the, the mental struggle that an individual goes through uh, ultimately begins to contribute towards a physical struggle that they'll face in life, whether it be physically things happening in their body or choices they're making. But it's this, this continued struggle that they can't seem to break free of. And, and many times what I've found as individuals are dealing with those, those mental struggles and those mental cycles, those, those thoughts that they just can't seem to get under control and address, that many times it will lead to a downward spiral in their faith. It will lead to uh, just a feeling of, uh, in their mind and in their faith of, of just not being good enough. It'll be a struggle that will continue to bombard. Perhaps it's impure thoughts, impure thoughts that individuals struggle with and, and deal with. And like, how do you get your thought life under control? Well, if there's anything in your life uh, this morning as you're sitting there, and as I'm talking about this, and you, you might be able to immediately think about something in your thought life, a thought cycle that, that continues to replay itself in your life. If there's anything in your life that is specifically in your thought life that is consistently hindering you from moving forward, in your faith, and, and it's consistently hindering you from moving forward in your life and how you're living, then that is something that God wants to address. The Bible has a word for this in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians for that type of thinking, for something that, that is holding you back. And the word that it has is called stronghold, that it's a mental stronghold, something that is holding on to your, your thought life and holding you back from moving forward in your faith. And if there's anything that fits that category in your life, then it's something that God wants to lead you out of and into a new place of freedom and a really a new realm of change that he has for you. 
I really believe for the believers, for a believer, for a Christian, that the one place the enemy loves to attack the Christian more than any other place, he'll try a number of different temptations, a number of physical things, but I believe the one reoccurring area that the enemy would love to attack more than any other, and he does attack, and I believe many times he's successful in the life of a Christian, is, the, is, the, is in your mind. It's in your thought life. Um, there's a number of different great books out on uh, Francis Frangiopan in his book, three, The Three Battlegrounds, talks about this. The battleground that takes place in your mind. Um, I, there's just a number of great books and great authors on it, but one of the first things is recognizing your mind is a battleground. That it's a, it's a battleground that the enemy wants to use continually against you. And he'll, we're going to look at this uh, in, in greater detail, but he wants to continually trip you up in your thinking, in how you think, not only in, in the thoughts that you have, but he wants to trip you up in your thinking about how you think about God, how you think about your faith, how you think about your freedom, how you think about your marriage, how you think about uh, your, your, your children, how you think about anything you put it in there. He, the enemy wants to influence that. He wants to shape that. Let's look together in First uh, Peter chapter 1. I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 13. Just, we're going to focus in on verse 13, but I want to read it in the full context of 13 through uh, 16 together this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And if you have version, you can pull it up and follow along as well. And there's notes in there as well. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, or verse 13, sorry. Uh, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And we'll talk about those last couple of verses for just a little bit, a little further on. But verse 13, one more time. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. She's talking about, he says, to set your mind on the hope to be brought to you. Now, sometimes I've shared, I'll take a, a translation and I'll look at, especially with an app like version. you can, within a matter of maybe 30 seconds, you could look at 10, 15 different ways that a verse has been translated, a verse that's been, been uh, written in. The different translations are sometimes trying to take, uh, take like a, if you take a gemstone and you look at it through different light, it'll help different angles show out. And sometimes I feel like different translations do that to scripture, helping us understand and see truth that's there uh, and the way that it can be applied into our lives and allowing God to bring change. And so I want to show you, I think it's just, I have four different translations I'd love to show you on this. This is the New Living Translation. So, and this is just, for, just verse 13, focusing on just verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Look at that, how the beginning is. It says, so prepare your mind for action. It says, prepare your mind for action. How many of you have ever found that if you take a test, if you're a high school student, a middle school student, uh, college students, that you found the best way that you pass a test is if you prepare your mind for the test. Am I right? There may be some geniuses among us. You don't have to study the information and you can walk in and you ace the test. But for the rest of us, we have to study. We have to, if we want to succeed, we have to prepare our mind for action. That's what Peter says. He says, prepare your mind for action. Now, keep in mind, he's writing to believers just like you and me. They're living in a day that their, uh, persecution uh, has come to Christians. They're living in a day that they're anticipating Christ uh, really to come at any point. But he says this. He says, do you want to be successful in your faith? 
You want to be successful in living for Christ? Then here's the, here's the key. Prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. He says prepare your mind to think about now how you need to think when the situations come. Think about now how you need to think, how you need to act when the challenges are going to come. It says prepare your mind for action. Let's go ahead. Next translation. I believe we have uh, the ESV. It says, therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded or being clear-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, we see this, preparing your mind for action, having a clear mind. And, And he says the focus is not so much just on making sure that our minds are clear, but ultimately the focus is to be able to to bring Christ into greater clarity into our thinking, to be able to be focused more clearly on Jesus. Let's go ahead. Look at the next one. I believe it's the Passion Translation. It says, so then prepare your hearts and your minds for action. Stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be revealed to you. I think you're seeing the reoccurring theme. It says, prepare your mind for action. And one more. I'm going to show you the King James Version. This is the one, this this translation, the King James Version, is the more accurate word-for-word translation of what Peter was writing. But I think all of the other ones help us understand more in in maybe a common language what Peter was saying. But he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And can you leave that on the screen for just a second? So as I mentioned, this is probably the more, the more accurate word-for-word translation of how Peter wrote this when he wrote to these early believers. So we've seen that where he says, gird up your loin, the loins of your mind, what it's really translated for us is prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind. Think about now how you need to learn to think to overcome the obstacles, the challenges, the things in your faith that would trip you up, the things in life, the way the enemy would come at you. But the way Peter says it, he says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I know for some that that can sound kind of maybe a little bit Shakespearean, a little bit like, who talks like that? Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And so we can look at that and we can think, well, that was just kind of this poetic way that that Peter was writing back in the day and writing to people. But really what Peter is using, he's using a phrase that immediately brought to mind a picture to to the audience as he wrote it. When he says to gird up the loins of your mind, he's using a word that when the readers read it, their minds would immediately go to, to a, different, a, a word picture that would be brought in their mind. The word that he's using, and we've talked about this on Wednesday nights uh, just a little bit, it's kind of what you're missing on Wednesdays. Um, we've talked about this just a little bit on a Wednesday night, is that when, he's, when he says, gird up the loins of your mind, the word is used to describe a runner, and many times it was talking about an oriental individual wearing very long flowing robes that went all the way down to their ankles. And before they would go on a long journey, or specifically before they needed to move with haste, before they were going to run in a race, they would take the garments that were hanging down, so they had their belt, and the garments that were hanging down to their, to their feet and their ankles, and they would take them and they would draw them up and they would tuck them into their belt. And so they would tuck them into their belt so that when they began to run, when they began to travel, the garment that was hanging down around their ankles, the faster they moved, um, would, begin to, would eventually become a trip hazard. And so they realized that in order to be able to be successful to get from point A to point B, especially if it was a race, to get from point A to point B and to be, to be the winner, to be victorious, that they had to take the garments that were hanging down around their feet, draw them up and tuck them into their, to their, their belt so that they wouldn't be a trip hazard. You can have the fastest runner possible, 
running with his garments untucked and down around his ankles. And as he began to run, he may have had the best start ever. He may have left everyone else in the dust. But at some point, the longer he's trying to run and the longer he's trying to get to his destination, if he hasn't tucked his garment up, the the start didn't matter. If he didn't finish, he was still a loser. And so it's a remark. What Peter is saying, he says, he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That's why the other writers are saying, prepare your mind for action. They're saying, take time to recognize those loose ends in your thinking that need to be addressed. He's saying, take time to think about in your thought life. What are the things when Peter writes this, he's not writing to talk about how to, how to dress better to the believers. He's writing to them about their minds. He says, make sure that you're addressing the loose ends in your thinking so that you can set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ and you can live consistently to the end and receive the reward that Christ is waiting for you with at the end. He says, address the loose ends in your mind, the loose ends in your thinking to take care of those matters that are there. That's why he says, he says, if you could put, can you go back to, uh, perhaps let's go back to the NIV for just a second. Paul says, wherefore, but says, so prepare your mind for action. Or one of the translations says, this is the the New Living Translation. In the NIV, it says, therefore, prepare your mind uh, for action. Therefore, it says, therefore. When we read therefore, we look back, we understand what has been written up to that point. And what's been written up to this point in 1 Peter chapter 1 is he's talking about the grace of God. He's talking about the transforming power of God. He's talking about the truth that God has given us through his written word. He's talking about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and his continual presence with us. And he says, therefore, because of everything God has done for you, therefore, because of everything that God has given you, the grace he's extended to you, the the living presence of the Holy Spirit living in you, the freedom that Jesus has brought you from sin, the truth of God's word that he extends to you, he says, With all of that in mind, take time to do your part in addressing how you think so you can then live fully to what Jesus has extended to you. That's why when you go to, I'll mess with you guys, sorry, if you can go back to the New Living Translation now. Now in the New Living Translation, that's why he says, therefore prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Exercise self-control. Self-control means that you have a part in it that you have a responsibility in it. I really believe there are things that we can pray and ask God to do and he'll do them. And then there are things that we can pray and ask God to do and he expects us to do them as we follow his lead. That's why self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing self-control and we're taking and putting it into action in our lives. I've said this before in this series. I think I've said it in years past. But when it comes to what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, is that he provided the reality of our freedom from sin. Jesus provided the reality of your freedom from sin. However, he leaves with us the responsibility or the obligation to provide the experience. In other words, to live in it. It would be like me having my home and opening the door and and saying, come on in. I've opened my home for you. I've given you complete and full access. And and I open the door at my home and it's sitting wide open. And you're just continually standing on the porch and saying, well, I wonder when Steve's going to invite me in. I just wish you'd bring me in the house. I just wish you'd allow me to come on in. And I'm like, well, come on in. The door's open. Well, I just wish you'd bring me in. I'm like, I just wish you'd bring me in. I'm like, well, come on in. The door's open. Well, I just wish you'd bring me in. You kind of see the picture I'm giving. That God has, through Jesus Christ, he's given you the freedom from sin. He's given you the reality of the freedom from sin. That it's no longer, the way I've said it before, sin has been dethroned in your life. It no longer sits as king in your life. 
But what we have to choose to do, and this goes to our thinking as well, is we have to choose to learn to put that, that truth, the belief of what we have in that truth, sin has been dethroned, and we need to put it into action into our lives and put it into action in our thinking. And so this morning, what I would love to do is I'd love to share with you, uh, just I'm going to give you four, four things that I believe you can use to begin to address your thought life. And for those who, who I know struggle with, with a thought life, and I want to speak specifically to those who struggle with fear, anxiety, and worry, because I've talked about that extensively in the past, is that many times we can hear a message like this, and if we're not careful, we can leave and we can add to the cycle and the struggle that we already have. We can, we can lay on layers of guilt or layers of condemnation and think, well, I've already done that. It's not fixed. And so the best way I want to encourage you with this, not just for those who struggle with fear, anxiety, and worry, but those who struggle with, with really any type of, of wrong thinking, wrong thought, a wrong thought life that you have this morning, is not to look at these four steps that I'm about to give you as the cure-all. Don't look at them as the finish line. Look at them as the start of the race. These are the start of the race so you can begin to run with perseverance, so you can begin to address the little loose ends of your mind, or of your, as, as Paul says, the, the loose ends of the garment that would hang down. You can, as you're running, you can use these to begin to recognize, wait a second, something's coming untucked, something's there, I gotta address this, I gotta take care of this so I can go forward in my faith and go forward productively in, my, in following Christ, recognizing that it's the empowering presence of Jesus in you that gives you the freedom to do this. That it's not a matter of you getting yourself good enough and then all of a sudden he's gonna help you, but what we've just done in communion is reminded ourselves that God in his grace has extended everything that you need. That's why even in 1 Peter, when he talks about this, he says that God has given us, he's really, he's given us the treasures of heaven to be able to live in the freedom that God wants for us. He's given you the truth and the power and the freedom. And this, what Paul then, or Peter then writes is to how we take that and we begin to, begin to put it into action and move with responsibility in our lives. So four things, uh, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I really believe just tools to put into use and put into action uh, in addressing our minds and making sure that our, our minds are prepared for action. I think the first thing, the very first thing to do is to identify the thoughts. Identify what the thoughts are that you're facing. You can't fight an enemy until you know what he, who he is. You can't address a wrong thought until you recognize what it is. And it's incredibly important to recognize the thoughts that you're struggling, the thoughts that you're, you're battling with. I want to invite you to turn with me to, um, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. And I want to share with you uh, just something Jesus says. Again, I've been reading through the gospel of Mark on my own. Mark chapter 3, beginning, and I just want to jump into a couple of verses. Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. So just kind of the context, the background of the story. Jesus has just addressed a man who was possessed by a demon, sets the man free. And so the religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, hey, the only reason that you can do this, the only reason that you can drive out demons is because you're empowered by the devil himself. And so Jesus says, that's absurd. That makes no sense. He says that, he says, Satan can't drive out himself. Satan can't go around trying to defeat himself, but listen to how he says it. He says, and he really, in doing this, he establishes a principle that I think applies back into our thinking. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Let me, I want to substitute a word in for you because, again, Jesus has set a principle here that applies to more than just what he's talking about. If a mindset is divided against itself, that mindset cannot stand. 
If a thought life is divided against itself, a thought life cannot stand. To put it a little more into context, it takes time to identify the thoughts that you're struggling with. It's important to identify the struggles that you're facing. It's important to identify and to recognize that when you're having impure thoughts, that they're wrong. It's important to recognize that when you're, when you're dealing with fear, that it's wrong. It's important to recognize that when you're dealing with doubt, that it's wrong. See, the, what the enemy wants to do is he knows that he just has to get you to believe one, one wrong line of thinking, one wrong cycle of thinking. And if he can get you to, to believe, to accept that thought that he's placed in your mind that has been put there, and he can get you to believe it, he knows that getting you to believe it undermines your faith. He wants you to believe it, and that empowers him. He knows that he can divide your faith. And so Jesus says that a house divided cannot stand. So for, for the Christian to continue to allow impure thoughts, to continue to allow uh, cycles of fear, to continue to allow unforgiveness, any number of thoughts, and I'll give you a list of some of them in just a second, for a believer to allow these type of thinking, this type of thinking to go unchecked in their mind and unchecked in their life is really you're trying to cheat God's design. In Galatians chapter uh, 6, verses uh, 7 through 9, he's talking about, we've looked at this, the principle of sowing and reaping. As I've said before, you cannot break the principle of sowing and reaping. It will only break you. But at the end of it, in Galatians chapter 6, when he's talking about this principle of sowing and reaping, at the end it says, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He says, God cannot be mocked. In other words, he says, he says when we try to do something a certain way and we expect different results, that in essence we're mocking God. He says, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't live in this direction. You can't have a divided house and expect it to stand. Just like in your thought life, you cannot have a divided thought life. You cannot allow impure thoughts and the number of thoughts to stay in your mind unaddressed and unchecked and expect your faith to be successful. That you've got to recognize the, the thoughts that are there. And I took time just to write down a few of the thoughts. I just want to share these with you. Just made a list of some of the thoughts that I believe and even just to help you understand how some of them sound when, uh, when we face them. Just a list of these thoughts. And, and again, the list is not exhaustive. I know there's a many number of different ones that individuals face. What about the, the thoughts of doubt? A thought life of doubt. Allowing doubt to continue. Here's the way some, sometimes doubt uh, sounds. He, the enemy loves to traffic in doubt. The enemy loves to traffic in doubt. If you look in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the scriptures, Back to the story of creation in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. When you look at the, the story of creation, really the first real tactic the enemy ever uses against humanity is doubt. He uses deception, but he uses doubt. He gets Eve to begin to doubt the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the care of God. And if you look at what he does with doubt in Eve's mind, he so convinces her and gets her so twisted in her thinking, he convinces her she needs something she already has. He convinces Eve, you need to be like God. And if you remember, she's already been made like God. She's been made in God's image. And so he uses doubt to so turn her thinking inside out and turn Adam's thinking so inside out that they really don't know which way is up. But here's some of the doubts that I believe the enemy introduces into our minds. Um, I'm just not good enough to fill that position. I'm just not good enough. I just don't have what it takes to stick it out in this marriage. Did God really mean that, that sexual purity is only meant for marriage? I mean, we're engaged. We really care about each other. Does it really matter anyways? Is that promise really for today? How about some other thoughts, some other doubts? Or do you, do you really think they care about you? 
Do you really believe that out of all the people in the world and all the problems that God has to face that, that he really cares about the little detail that's going on in your life? And there's a number of different ways that doubts come and they'll always sound like your own voice. I've, said, I've probably said a hundred times from this pulpit that the best way to recognize the enemy's voice is that it will always leave you doubting, uh, confused, and, and hopeless. The enemy's whisper will always leave you doubting, confused, and hopeless. Doubt is one of the biggest tools that he'll use to try to undermine your faith and to really plant lies within your mind. Another, another thought, type of thought life that I believe is, uh, the enemy loves is fear. He loves to traffic in fear. The enemy will use uh, anxiety and worry to dig a, a stronghold of fear in individuals' thought lives. He loves to use anxiety and worry to, to feed fear. Here's some of, the, I think, some of the ways that it can sound. What are you going to do if you lose your job? I mean, how are you going to provide for your family? What, what if it really is cancer? What if this ache in my side is, is more than it seems? What if something happens today when my kids are at school? What if something happens when my spouse climbs in the car and drives to work? What if they're not just running late? What if something really happened? What if she didn't love me as much as she said she did on our wedding day? What if, other, what is, what is, what if others uh, really think about me what I think they think about me? What if I'm not good enough? What if, what if, what if? All those different avenues the enemy will use to introduce worry and anxiety with the ultimate goal of establishing fear. Another uh, thought life, another type of thoughts that the enemy will bombard with and really that we need to identify as wrong thinking. We've talked about this last week or two weeks ago is unforgiveness and bitterness. I really believe that unforgiveness is a fertilizer that the enemy uses to ready your heart for bitterness to take root. Because he knows, and, and Hebrews talks about this, that, that, uh, he, that bitterness restricts the grace of God. It limits what God can do in your life. That's what Hebrews says, that it restricts the grace of God in your life. What about polluted thoughts? Thoughts that are harmful or, or influencing or destructive in nature. Some of the thoughts that I think could fit the, the category of polluted thoughts would be, um, we've already covered fear and bitterness and anxiety and doubt, but what about discouragement? Like, this is never going to end. There's really no end in sight. This is just never going to end. Insecurity, you're just not as good enough as everyone else. What about selfish thoughts? You know, I deserve to have more. I deserve this. I deserve to have more. What about disobedience? You know, that just doesn't make any sense. Just, just a little bit won't hurt. Hopelessness and despair. You know, you just can't go on. No, one, no one's going to miss you anyways. What about confusion? You know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, and I'm just so confused on what's the right direction. Could be sensual and tempting thoughts. Just one clicks, okay? You've already done it before. The list really could go on and on and on, on the different types of thoughts that are there and the different types of thoughts that the enemy will introduce to your mind and try to introduce to your life. And all of these thoughts and, and many more that I didn't, didn't mention, I just mentioned just a handful, but all of these thoughts are the type of thoughts that Peter is addressing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, that he says, prepare your mind for action. You need to tie up the loose ends of your mind. Now, I want to clarify, not every single thought that comes to mind is sin, but the sinful ones we definitely need to address and deal with. We need, it's good to recognize the difference between temptation and sin, and, and James talks about how temptation works, and I don't, I'm not really going to go into all of that this morning, but it's to recognize that when a thought comes, it's what you do with it and how you handle it that then leads to the direction of if this is going to be a sin, uh, an issue, or if it's something that you're acknowledging and dealing with. But the first thing to do is assess the thought. Take the thought, and you can assess it as to uh, how does this fit 
So we're identifying the thought. You're still identifying the thought. How does this fit with what God's desire is for my life? How does this fit with what God sees the potential in my life to be? And you might say, well, what is the potential that God sees in my life to be? Here, here it is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's his goal for your life. He wants to shape you to be more like Jesus. He wants to set you apart to be more like him. Set apart in life, set apart in thinking, set apart in action, so that your life really carries the presence of Jesus wherever you go. That's, that's his aim for your life. And so if the thoughts that you're dealing with, the thoughts that are even, even as I'm speaking, the thoughts that are coming to mind that, you're, that are really the, the lights shining on, you're realizing this is not right, this is not consistent, this is not healthy. Those are things that God wants to address to deal with strongholds, to deal with ineffective thinking and, and inappropriate thinking and unfruitful thinking so that you then can, in a more greater measure, place your hope in Jesus Christ, place your faith, the, the focus, your, your hope upon who Jesus is and the work that God wants to do in you, his desire. And the first thing I would encourage you to do this morning, you, you, can, you can, while you're standing, while you're sitting there, while I'm talking, as these type of thoughts come to mind and you address them and you recognize, this is a wrong way of thinking. This is not, not a part of the lifestyle, the thought life that God intends for me in order that he wants for me. Take time to repent of it even now. As I mentioned, a, a, a divided life can't stand, a divided mindset can't stand. It doesn't matter how many messages you sit through here, how many worship services you sit through, how many different things you expose yourself to. Until you recognize, address, and repent of the wrong thought life, all of those other things, you're going to continue to live in a divided state. So take time to address them. And the beauty of, of God's word, the beauty of who he is. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says that he freely stands to forgive what we confess to him. But it begins with confessing it to him. That he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily bind himself to forgiving sin that we won't confess, ones that we'll still hold on to. So confess it to him. Acknowledge the need, acknowledge your need for help and identifying the thoughts. Secondly, the second one I would encourage you to do is to identify uh, what the triggers are. Identify what the key triggers are that lead to that thought life in the, f the first place. What are the key triggers? What are the key things that have to be pushed in your life that start that cycle of thinking to go? I want to show you something in um, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, a passage probably many have heard before. Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So in other words, he says there's a physical responsibility to what God's doing in your life. He says you need to offer your body, every part of your body, to God as a living sacrifice. And then he says, then the outworking of that, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it talks about that there's a physical responsibility that we have in following Christ with what we do with our lives, what we do with our minds, what we do with our mouths. And then it says that the second part of that, it says that we are to be renewed in our thinking, that we're to have a, a renewed way of thinking. In Ephesians chapter 3, it's talking about one of the areas in, in Scripture. Paul's writing to uh, believers in the city of Ephesus, and he's talking to them. This is, what, this is what the Christian life looks like. These are the things you need to throw out. This is the new life you need to get into. And he's kind of talking about it, a change of wardrobe. He says, get rid of this, keep, take on this, get rid of this, take on this. But one of the first things he addresses before you're, you're, you're going into this change and that change and getting rid of this and adding this, one of the first things he addresses, Ephesians 3, 24 and 25, 
25. He says that you need to be renewed in the attitude of your mind. You need to change how you think. You need to change how you're thinking about things. You need to change how you're thinking about the circumstances. But it doesn't, it doesn't uh, mark out the fact that there's still physical responsibility in following Jesus. That's what Romans chapter 12 says. That if we want to have a renewed way of, of thinking, we need to take, take time to stop and look at this. Do my physical choices in life, the things that I expose myself to, the life that I live, the things that I'm around, are those consistent with the renewed way of thinking that I want to live with? Because if they're inconsistent, we're right back to that divided house that Jesus talked about that we've already looked at. But what I want you to see from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, um, where it's talking about offering our bodies, is that there's a physical responsibility in what we do. And if there's a physical responsibility in what we do, then that means when it comes to your thinking, there are triggers, there are physical triggers that can, that can, can be hit that ultimately move you into those patterns of thinking. And I think most here probably would, could recognize, if you were to look back over some of the key struggles you've had in your mind, struggles with fear, anxiety, lust, uh, unforgiveness, struggles with any number of things, you could look back, if you could, could kind of hindsight look back, you would see a number of triggers that began to happen that be, that that kind of sets you on that road to begin to think that way. I think a great example would be my wife and I. We uh, used to live when, when we just had a couple of our daughters at the time. Uh, we used to live in Oklahoma City. It was part of my time in the military. And as we lived in, and then went on staff at a church there. But while we were in the military, Oklahoma City is, if you're familiar, anybody ever lived in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City? If you're familiar with Oklahoma and Oklahoma City, it sits right, kind of right almost in the center of the U.S., but it sits in, in the very heart of what is called Tornado Alley. Anybody ever heard of Tornado Alley? Tornado Alley is kind of this area that is, is just prone to having lots of tornadoes, and Oklahoma City sits right in the middle of it. And every year while we were there, Oklahoma City would have, and they still do to this day, record number of tornadoes compared to others around them. They have the most tornadoes out of the year, right, in this area. And the reason they do, we've been there for a number of big ones. I remember uh, one that was on the ground. We were hiding in, our, in the bathroom. The windows of the house were shaking and just a number of things. And being there with the tornadoes, they have the record number of tornadoes each year there uh, in Oklahoma City. And the reason they always have all the tornadoes is because they say that that area has all the right environments that are conductive to, to hosting tornadoes. Oh, great place to live. The, 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 the atmosphere in the area, the way the weather patterns converge, the way they merge in together, that it creates just the right atmosphere for, uh, for tornadoes to be bred. But it's not just the atmosphere, the landscaping, the way things are, and all those different things. They say it's all of the right ingredients. So you just add one more right ingredient, and boom, you have tornadoes that happen. That's why they get so many of them. And I look at that, and I think about our thought life, and I think about your thought life. Because many times, when, when the thoughts really begin to, to run wild in your mind, it can feel like a tornado. It can feel like a whirlwind that's just continuing to go, getting more and more strength, going stronger and stronger and stronger. And while you're in it, you forget that, that every storm has to dissipate at some point. That every storm has an ending. You have to remember that. But while you're in it, whether it be a whirlwind of lust, a whirlwind of fear, a whirlwind of anxiety, a whirlwind of, of doubt, whatever it might be, you just feel like you're right in the focal point of it and it's never going to end. But one of the key things that I want you to remember out of that is that just like the, that tornado alley takes all of these different ingredients that have to be used, and when the, when the final one is put in place, you have the, the atmosphere that's conducive to having tornadoes, that many times in our lives, we carry many of the right ingredients towards the struggles we already have. 
Many times you carry a lot of the, the, same, the right ingredients in your heart and in your life that, that kind of go with the direction of where your mind struggles. And so then it takes just one more ingredient, one key trigger, perhaps from the outside to be introduced, and all of a sudden it sets loose the whirlwind of your thoughts and the struggles you're having. Does that make sense? So it's recognizing what are the key triggers that, that, can, that add to the struggle of the thoughts in your life and recognizing what's there. And then I would encourage you, one of the key things, don't just recognize the triggers, deal with them. Deal with them. Take them out of the mix. If, it's, if you deal with impure thoughts and the struggle, you recognize that it's opportunity when you're alone and unaccountable for, then guess what, what you can address? Do your best to not be alone and make sure that you don't have any unaccountable time on the internet. If you're dealing with any number of things, if it, there's a number of ways that you can recognize the triggers that, that, that feed the type of thought life that you're having and the struggle that you have so we can then in turn do what 1 Peter 1 tells us to, to prepare our minds for action. Number three, this kind of goes hand in hand with, with the one, that one that we've just talked about. Number three is stop the playlist. Stop the playlist. How many of you have a smartphone, iPod, um, something else that, that you can build a playlist? Everybody knows what a playlist is, right? If you're not familiar with a playlist, on many smartphones now or iPods, you can take all the music you want, you can build your own little playlist, you can build one for one thing, you can build it for another, and you can have hundreds of playlists and all sorts of different music, each one's different. And all you have to do is hit play and repeat, and it'll continue to play and continue to play and continue to play and continue to play. We'll have a playlist going before and after service of different music. Uh, well, many times as we're moving into the Christmas season, we'll have uh, in our home, a lot of times we'll just have Christmas music on in the background. And sometimes just in the noise of life and things that are happening and going, you don't even recognize music's there. And then sometimes it just takes just the right thing. You'll stop and you realize, wow, that, that music's been playing in the background the whole time. Well, many times when it comes to your thought life and it comes to the things that are taking place in your thought life, that whether or not you realize it, you have a playlist that goes with the struggles in your thoughts that you have a playlist that, that runs. And many times the playlist is running and we don't even realize it. The playlist is continuing to run and it's running on repeat, continuing to repeat the issue, continue to repeat the struggle. If it's, if it's the struggle of, of, of doubt, it's, it's that continually, well, I wonder if this is gonna happen. Oh, I just wonder if they're gonna come through. I just wonder if it's this. And we constantly are just hitting repeat on the playlist and it's continuing to cycle and continuing to go and continuing to play and continuing to, to feed uh, the storm that you're living in and the thoughts that you're facing and the struggle that you're having and having to do. And all the while, it's just continuing to to just drive that, that rut deeper of those thoughts in your life. And so one of the best, best things to do is stop the playlist. Or even, I think the first thing is recognize the playlist when it's happening. Recognize when it's happening. Recognize when the playlist begins as leading you down the road of temptation. Recognize when the playlist begins as leading you down the journey of the struggle and reinforcing the thoughts and everything else that's there so everything else falls out of focus and we ultimately begin to let the playlist dictate our life. So stop the playlist, recognize it. And here's, here's the final step that I'd give you in how to stop the playlist. And we've talked about this before. Number four is replace the thoughts. So you're recognizing them, you're addressing them, but the best thing you can do is to stop them, replace the thoughts. And notice it's replace, uh, it's replace, not, not uh, tolerate them. It's replace, not try to resist them. It's replace them. Don't try to tolerate them. Don't just say, well, I'm just gonna stick this out just going to wait this out, but replace them. And one of the things that will happen, and many times specifically when individuals dealing with, with fear, anxiety, or some of the other ones that we've talked about throughout, is that many times individuals will try to, to replace the thought by focusing on the thought and saying, how am I going to deal with this? And that is actually just feeding into the storm more. 
So what I would encourage you to do is not try to focus on how do I focus on this thought and then move it out. Instead, just try to find a completely different thought to think about. Try to focus on something completely different. And I want to show you something. Um, I want to show you in Mark chapter, chapter uh, 11, if you'll turn there with me. Mark chapter 11. Again, going back to something that Jesus, uh, Jesus is talking about. And I think one of the best things that you can do in replacing those thoughts is not just think about if, if you find your mind going down a, a journey in the thoughts that you know you shouldn't be going into and the struggle you're having, don't just replace it with, well, I'm going to think about ponies, or I'm going to think about cars, or I'm going to think about dogs. Instead, replace it with God's Word. Replace it with the authority of God's Word. The best thing that I think you can do is look at God's Word, as, look at it as God's perspective on life. God's setting on life, how he views life, how it should be, how he sees life, how he interacts in life. So fill your heart with the truth of God's word. And you might find yourself in kind of the heat of the battle. You recognize that things are happening. You recognize you're addressing this type of thinking. And so you're like, and your mind just goes blank. You can't remember a verse. Then I, you know, take time to think about some of the worship songs we sing. They're, they're based on scripture. They're based on biblical truths. So if it begins by, by just, de- by taking some of those truths that we sing about and we begin to even just declare, there's such an important part in declaring those truths as you begin to change your thoughts and begin to address your thought life. And what I want you to see in this is Mark chapter 11, verse 23. So Jesus is talking about the importance of what we believe and what we say, and he's talking about the importance of faith in, in the, the follower of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the importance of faith in Hebrews eleven six. So stay right here in Mark chapter 11, but in Hebrews eleven six, it says this, it says, in, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes in, we have to have faith. That faith is the, is the framework. It's part of the framework of believing what, who he is and believing what he's doing. And so Jesus is talking about the effectiveness of faith in what we believe and faith in what we declare. Look what he says, Mark chapter 11, verse 23. He says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the heart of the sea, into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Let me read that one more time. I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. What Jesus is identifying is the creative connection, the creative power that's released when we believe, when we say what we believe, when we declare what we believe. He's identifying there's a creative power that's released when our beliefs, when our hearts, when our faith is aligned or when our words are aligned with our faith and with what we believe, that there's this creative power that's released. So if there's this creative power, really, there's kind of this heart and this mouth connection. Now, if there's a creative power that is released when we take what we, what we, when we declare it and we believe it in our hearts, then if there's a creative power that's released that Jesus says is a good thing, how many of you know there's also a creative power that's released when we, when we begin to believe something and declare it in the negative. That there's a creative power that's released when you begin to declare what you believe. That's why I said earlier, the enemy would love to get you to begin to believe the lies that he's feeding into you. He would love to get you to believe the lies just enough to get you to begin to declare them over your life, to begin to declare them really a self-prophecy that you speak over your life. And that's why I'll tell, my, I'll tell my kids, it doesn't matter which one, that as they're doing something, say, well, I'm just not smart enough for this. I'll stop them. I say, you are very smart. 
We won't, we won't accept that declaration at all. You are very smart. And really, with your life, don't declare the things that you don't think you're good at. Don't declare the failures that you think define you. Don't declare, and I'm not just talking about positive thinking, positive declaring. Jesus said there's a connection between what we believe in our heart and what we declare in our mouth, and that there's a creative power that's released. And so the longer that you begin to tell yourself you can't do something, the longer you begin to declare over yourself that the, the struggle will never end, then you begin to empower those words, and you begin to fulfill those words with your life. Do you want to know the greatest way to empower the lies of the enemy? Believe them. It's the greatest way. You want to empower the lies of the enemy in your life? Believe them. Believe them and begin to declare them. But the best way to undermine what the enemy wants to harm you with, how he wants to distort your thinking, how he wants to turn your mind inside and out and get you so confused on the purposes of God, the greatest way to confront the enemy and to undermine his lies is to begin to declare the right truth. Is to begin to declare what God says. We've talked about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, talking about the armor of God, the armor that God gives every believer, that the sword of the Spirit, when you talk about the sword of the Spirit, it's not meaning so much the written word, it's talking about the, the spoken word, the declared word, the declared truth of God. That is why it is so crucial when you're struggling, whatever your struggle might be, that you begin to declare the truth of God over your life. Begin to declare the truth of God of who, you, who he is over your situation, over your circumstances, just to begin to declare it. Begin to worship him. I was reading in my own, and I'm going to invite the, the worship team. They can begin to, to ready themselves. Um, reading again, just in my own devotional life, in my own prayer time, and reading in, uh, in Psalm, I was reading in Psalm 24. And Psalm 24 says this. It says, it's talking about just the, the city, talking about people just lifting up their, their hearts and their, their hands in worship to God. And he says this, he says, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. It says the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, that he longs to be mighty in battle on your behalf. He longs to be mighty in battle and strong and mighty on your behalf. And many times we keep him at bay because we face the, the giants of our thought life. We face the struggles in our thought life and we never begin to invite his, his work by declaring who he is over the matter. We kind of just say, well, I'm just gonna tackle it. I'm just gonna endure it. I'm just gonna face it. But God says, I long to be mighty in battle on your behalf. So begin to declare the truth of who I am, declare the truth of how I've said life should be, declare the truth of what I say about you from his word, declare that over your mind, declare that over your life, and begin to allow his truth to permeate your heart, permeate your life, and, and really bring change and bring truth uh, in a way that nothing else can. And really in the end of all of this, I think one verse that, if, I, if you left with one verse to remember, I realize I've given you a lot, but if you live with one verse to remember, and I think a good verse to start with when you find those battles coming in your mind is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Look at this together. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, just to put it into kind of understanding a great cloud of witnesses, the history of how God moves, the history of how God works, the story of life, how God's interacting in people's lives. That's your word. If you have a Bible on your phone, you're holding it. You're holding what he's talking about. The great cloud of witnesses. So since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Sounds very familiar to First Peter, what we've talked about, right? But listen to this. Look unto Jesus, or set your eyes on Jesus. Get your focus on Jesus. 
the author and the finisher of our faith, says, get your eyes on Jesus. Everything else that I've given you this morning, if you don't do this part, it's just another self-help message. They're just steps for self-help and positive thinking, but it always has to come back to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your faith on Jesus. Fix your heart on Jesus. Do you want to win, want to win the battle in your mind? Do you want to address those loose ends that are hanging around? Then be, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. And as you see Jesus and begin to focus on him with a greater clarity, then the thoughts that shouldn't be there begin to stand out in a greater understanding. And you begin to see how inconsistent they are with who he is and the love that he has for you. I've had a song that's been uh, just going in my heart the last uh, couple of weeks. And I've asked the worship team, they're going to lead in this song for now and lead. And then I'll come back and I'll dismiss you. But I just want you, as you listen to this word, these words of the song, Listen to the words of the song. Perhaps sit there with your eyes closed and just think about the truth that's being declared and allowing the truth of God to really settle into your heart. And then I'll come back and we would love to end by spending time in prayer over individuals. But as the worship team begins to sing, friends, let's just begin to shut your, yourself in, even with Jesus while you're sitting there and let him begin to speak to you.